Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the college and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. Hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, humoring me with a, a small technical problem. Come on in. Find a seat. It looks like uh, the weather has kept people away, so if you want to, there's lots of room up here, and we love it when you come forward and sit closer, so, so do that. Um, couple quick things. This month is evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. And that is going and preaching the good news to those that don't know it. And so last week we had Matthew Ayers, if you remember. He talked about uh, kind of evangelism as a whole, and he's our local pastor. So he talked about some local missions we did and some stories. And today we have the pleasure of hearing from a guest speaker who I will introduce in just a second. But one of the other things I just wanted to announce that does have to do with our topic of evangelism is that we are going to Macedonia. There's uh, like seven of us now by faith that are going to Macedonia from Mill Sunday School. Uh, it's, it's a matter of faith because there's a lot of support to be raised. There's $2,500 for every person going. So um, the money's coming in, and so we're, we're going to go. Uh, the Lord is, is good. And so today we have Dr. Stephen Todd, who's going to speak, and he's a doctor of missiology. Do you know what that means? He, he said no. <laughs> You got your doctorate in it. You should know. Missiology is the study of missions, the study of evangelism techniques, what works, what doesn't, study of cultures, the study of uh, how the gospel is is heard and how the gospel is presented. And so we have a wonderful gift this morning with Dr. Todd in the room speaking to us. And he is uh, on staff. He's with King's College. So I told him King's University and um, he... I told him, tell us all about King's University, because a lot of us have not heard about it. It's right here on campus at New Life, and so we've partnered with a school, and so he's going to tell us about that. And he has lots of experience. Let me brag about him for a second. He's been a pastor uh, a couple times over, police chaplain, vineyard, Calvary Chapel pastor, maybe some more pastor yeah, things in there, mainly it, yeah. some more things in there. He's been to Africa a lot of times, and by a lot, I mean like 40 plus times mm-hmm. to Africa on mission trips. And he has spoken, uh, he goes over there and speaks to pastors and mm-hmm. spoken. He said, I said, like, how many pastors have you spoken to? He said, tens of thousands of pastors and trained them, equipped them over the years in Africa, in the Congo, and all over, 20 yeah. countries all over Africa. And so would you please uh, welcome him and thank the Lord for Dr. Stephen Todd. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe. Well, Dr. Joe does know about the King's University, though he still calls it King's College, and that's because it used to be King's College and Seminary, but now it's a university uh, fully accredited because it offers everything from associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctorate. The King's University, started by Pastor Jack Hayford about 20 years ago, about a year and a half ago, moved its main campus to South Lake, Texas, and in an extraordinary gesture of generosity, Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church and his board of elders gave the university their former campus, which is 30 acres and a gorgeous building. And so they moved the headquarters there. The university is growing. It's doing amazing. And there are a number of extension campuses, Colorado Springs, New Life Church being one of them. And so you've got two things on your table. One is just a two-sided little uh, flyer. and We have more of these. The other is just a little response card, and we conveniently have more of those. And Julie Briarton is uh, here on staff also with administration of the King's University. Miss Julie, would you raise your hand? She's in the back right there. And so she's got 
more of these at her table. There's no obligation. You just, if you kind of want to think about it, we would love to talk with you. Dr. Joe is one of our adjunct professors, and we have a great time. We have on-ground classes here. There's an online capability. A person can come, uh, take classes here, go online, and you can complete a completely accredited degree. It's fully um, FAFSA, if you're familiar with that, and, and um, guaranteed government student loans and financial aid and scholarships and all of that kind of stuff. So please take a few minutes. Go online, tku.edu. If you go to the Colorado Springs campus, you'll see a great picture I took of Dr. Joe and some of the other adjunct professors and just a little bit about what we do and who we are. We would love to talk to you. No, no um, obligation. Just just say, hey, I'm kind of interested, and maybe we can sit down and chat with you, okay? So, how many of you have been somewhere other than the United States? Everybody. So, on the count of three, shout out the last country you've been to. One, two, three. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> so, somebody said Texas, another person said Louisiana, but that's okay. All right. So, what we're going to talk about today is what I'm calling Missiology 101. And everybody asks me, Missiology, what is that? My, my master's is in theology uh, from Fuller Seminary, where Dr. Joe also went. But Missiology is basically missions with an ology at the end, and you kind of knew that. But it is basically a, three, a three-legged uh, stool, if you will. It's the theology, biblical theology of mission. It's world religions and it's culture and anthropology. And so those are the three areas. So what I wanted to do today was kind of take a shotgun approach and talk about the high-altitude view of why we invest and bother or do we even waste money in, frankly, in, in going over to other places that don't even want us, a lot of times don't even like us, and try to share a message of a gospel that they really don't care about, know about, have respect for. Why are we doing that? Aren't there enough problems right at home? And, of course, Pastor Matthew Ayers and I are good friends. And so uh, he and I, would, I would say he's the other side of the same coin, and we, we don't disagree. But at the same time, there are some of those tensions, aren't there? So I want to just take a quick view, and about a third of the way into my talk, it's going to be a group participation of sorts. Remember when you were in school about fourth, fifth grade, you had math manipulatives? Remember, some of you had those little rods that you would stack up to learn how to count and those things. Well, we don't have any rods, but we do have a few little manipulatives I want to help with it. So, evangelism and missiology. So, we're going to talk about mandate, strategy, and challenges real simply. I, I apologize that I could not come up with an alliteration where all three began with the same letter. I really tried, uh, but I was sticking with Q initially, and I couldn't get, you know... Three, letter, three words that started with Q. So I went with mandate, strategy, and challenges. So the mandate. So if you have a Bible or if you have an electronic device that has a Bible, you might want to look at this verse just so you see it for yourself. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Abram was, a guy, Abram was the father of what ethnic group? What religious group? Yeah, the Jews, the, the Hebrews. He was the father. And in some ways, of course, the Muslims today would call him the father of their faith. As Christians, we would too. In fact, in world religions, they call Islam, Christianity, and Judaism Abrahamic faith. Because everybody looks back to Abram, named later Abraham, for their, their origins, as it were. So Abraham, 
receives this, this incredible mandate by God, by Yahweh. And it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In him, every family on earth will be blessed. Well, what, what does that mean? And by the way, do you know the word for blessing in Hebrew? Barach. We know somebody by that first name, I think, don't we? Just have to throw that out. Everybody thinks he's a Muslim because he has the name Barak. Barak is the Arabic form of the Hebrew word Barak, which simply means blessing. Okay? And all it meant in his name, by the way, was that his father considered him a blessing when he was born. And that's why they named him that. So I just thought I'd just give you a quick little sociopolitical history. And that'll end up on Facebook in about five minutes. Okay. So what does this have to do with us? Because we're, we're Gentiles, we're not Jews, we're in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. But in Galatians, Paul, in addressing the struggle between Jews and Gentiles, between the, what we would call the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, look at this remark he makes. He says, Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So everything that was promised to Abraham through Christ comes to us. But with the opportunity also comes the obligation. That would mean through us, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There's a channel. There's a conduit. There's like a river. If you can imagine, think of a, of a, a river coming down out of the Rockies. And as it comes down, you have basically two choices. You can either let it flow all the way down to the cities where it provides, or originally to the farmland and what have you, and then to the cities to provide a source of water, or you can build a dam and turn it into a reservoir. Well, what the people of Israel did, instead of constantly being aware of their priestly calling and being a blessing to the people of, of, of the world, to the nations of the earth, by their rules and the regulations, they were constantly building walls and turning that flow of the river into a reservoir rather than a river. And yet, the church has done certainly the same thing. We've erected rules and cultural walls and all these things so that rather than be the channel, the conduit, the river through whom God was going to bless all the nations of the earth, we become a reservoir. And we just kind of enjoy our little bit of the, of the blessing. We could, you know, imagine the water as the blessing, and the people out there don't have access to it. So the mandate is that we're called to be God's conduit to the world. You say, but that's Old Testament. Now you're talking New Testament. I thought Old Testament was that three-fourths of the Bible that deals with the angry, white, European-looking God with a big beard that's ready to smack everybody, right? And then Jesus comes in the New Testament and forces God to take anger management classes, calms him down, and then Jesus says, I know you're really ticked off at all these people, but I'll die in their place, so get ticked off at me, and now God tolerates us. That's kind of the cultural perspective of the Old Testament versus the New Testament, you know? I would suggest that 
in American society, we relate more of our, our theological understanding to medieval and Renaissance church art than we do the Bible. So God is this scary old white man, and Jesus is the kind younger God who calms him down. But what I'd suggest to you is that, and we call this the unity of the scriptures, we got two trees here. Okay. And uh, well, we'll start with this one on the left. Beginning of the book of Genesis, there's a tree in the center. What's it called? Tree of life. Okay. Now you have a little problem because the, the tree of life is here and he said, and then there's the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. And remember when Adam and Eve in, that, in, the, in the creation story, uh, he says you can have, you know, any fruit from any tree, but don't touch that tree. And then, of course, you know, the, the serpent comes and uh, tempts them, and they take the fruit, and you can be like God, and that whole thing. What do we call that? The fall, right? And so then even, even in the, the moments after the fall, God is speaking to them, and God says that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent and prophesying essentially Jesus. And then we have this whole process, and it's a long process, of God calling his people back into relationship with him. And yeah, there's Abraham, and then you got Isaac, and then Jacob, and the 12 tribes, and then you know Joseph goes off to Egypt, and then they, uh, 400 years later, they're, they're all oppressed, and they're slaves. And then God raises up a deliverer. His name is Moses. And we had uh, the Ten Commandments on DVR Sunday evening, but then we realized it was four and a half hours long, and we deleted it. Uh, <laughs> I did look at the parting of the Red Sea again. I didn't realize how corny that looks now, but it was pretty cool years ago. And so Moses leads them, and then they eventually, you know, through uh, Joshua, they go into the Promised Land, and then the 12 tribes, and, you know, all this stuff is happening. But all along, God is calling people into covenant relationship with him. And then when the, the uh, kingdom splits into two, and then Assyria and then Babylon comes in, and they, they ravage them and then take them away, there's these prophets that come up, and the prophets essentially are saying, come back into a covenant with God. Come back into a relationship with Yahweh. It's still the same story. And so the end of Malachi, he says, one will come in the spirit of Elijah and turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers and so forth. And we have then on the scene, 400 years of silence, and on the scene, we have John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah, introducing Jesus, the Lamb of God, which would have been Passover language. They would have understood that. And then the next phrase is so scandalous. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Not just the Jews. Everybody. And so then Jesus comes onto the scene and the disciples and miracles and all those things. And then Jesus is crucified, but he doesn't stay in the grave, right? And then he rises and then the Holy Spirit comes. And then you got 2,000 years of church history, which is definitely up and down and up and down. You know, the Spanish Inquisition, the uh, Crusades were among the low points. But we had some good high points too. And, you know, the Moravians and John Huss and the Reformation and, you know, and then revivals and all these things go and at some point in the future we don't know when and how soon and all that but it's all going to come to completion right and the new heaven and the new earth is going to come and a recreation of, of, of it all and it says in the end of revelation that in this new jerusalem there is a city and there's like a garden and a river and in the center of the city what's there the tree of life it didn't disappear 
And so in the same way, the Bible is a collection of 66 books that tell many stories to tell the story. And so that's what we call the unity of the scriptures. And so we understand that the same responsibility given to Abraham has been given to us. So that's cool, but what's the strategy? Well, if I were to take, can't do it anymore because we have, we have wireless microphones. We used to have wired, here we go, we got a wired microphone. Can't find these anymore. Yeah, this is an SM58. I was a Christian rock guy once upon a time, a musician, so I actually know these things. Okay. What if I told you I could get this microphone to stand up there? It did. For a very split second, it did. What do you call that? What? Centrifugal force. Okay. Well, now, that's very smart. Somebody was awake during ninth grade science class. Here's a harder one. This morning, when you were getting ready, be it a shower, a bath, or washing your face, or even some of you guys shave, um, and you fill up the uh, bowl, and, and, and there's water in it, and you take the plug out, how does the water get down there? Gravity. Well, gravity is the force, but, but what, what is, there's another name for that force. Let me put it this way, an hourglass. There's no batteries. That's called centripetal force. Centripetal force is the force that draws everything to one place, whereas centrifugal force is a force that spreads everything out to the boundaries or the limits uh, of that thing, okay? So maybe this will remind you. Anybody ever been on one of those tilt-a-wheels? It's best to go on those right after having the deep-fried butter on a stick at the, uh, you know, the county fair, right? You don't want to you don't want to be standing underneath that thing, generally speaking. So the thing on the right is centrifugal force, but the hourglass is centripetal force. The call is the same in the Old and New Testament. The call is to call people into relationship with God by sharing the good news that God has not abandoned us, but God has made a way to relationship. But the strategy is different. In the Old Testament... God called his people to build a building in Jerusalem. And what was it called? The temple. And at the temple, there was the worship of God that people from all of the known world would cross through the three major trade routes of that time of the known world. And it says, come to Zion, come to the house of the Lord, come to the mountain of the Lord. Let us come and reason together. It was come and see the worship of God. But then... Fast forward, New Testament, Holy Spirit comes. You know, Jesus is ready to rise again. Jesus says in Matthew 28, not come, but go. So now we go to all the nations of the earth, which is wonderful. Acts 1.8, of course, after the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my martyrs, my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that becomes really the the outline for the book of Acts. But the problem is we have a challenge, and I'm going to need some help. After, I don't even know, I've been to Africa over 40 times, but I've traveled quite a bit around the world, a lot. I prefer personally the, the lightweight Samsonite rollers. I think they're the best. 
but I'm going to need some help. And we got to do this strategically, okay? So I need, when, when they give me these garments, bless their hearts, these people in, the, in, the, in these other countries think I'm about 30 pounds skinnier than I am, okay? And I can't wear most of them. Now, when I look across this crowd, there's one thing that I find a tad disturbing because I am kind of a multicultural guy, and that is there seems to be a predominance of Caucasian white faces here with a few wonderful exceptions, okay? But I need a guy. You know what? I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can pull this off because it's kind of, it's a little tight for me. You can pull it off. What's your name? What's your name? Malcolm. Malcolm. Okay, Mal- oh, perfect. Is your last name X by chance? Uh, no. But okay, it could be. Right yeah, well, Malcolm, here. Let's see if we can get this. Do your best. Okay. Okay, let's roll with it. That's is the, this the front? That's the front. Yes, okay. yes, sir. Okay, now, this is real. I got this in Bacaw Valley on the, uh, right on the edge of, Lebanon, of militia-controlled Lebanon and Syria. It was an interesting uh, thing. You know why they have this? You know what this is for? Because when they want to go to sleep, they don't want their camels to get away, so they slip these up on the front legs of the camel. The camel won't move, and they can sleep. So I learned how to do this. Let's see. This is the real deal. Okay. Never going to live this one down. No, you aren't. Okay. Let's see. There we are. Okay. You can play with it accordingly. Yeah. Okay. He, you know, he, he, he does it. He pulls it off. Instagram is flying right now. Okay. <laughs> now, I need, let me find the other two parts to this. Let's see. Got a, uh, let's oh, stay here. Stay here. Okay. I need a Middle Eastern young lady. You can, for the day. Middle Eastern young lady. Okay. Victoria. Put this on. This is actually from the Middle East as well. And then here, this needs to be like a burk, but it can go, you know, like over your head and to be, you know what I mean. I don't know how to do this one. Kind of, you know, figure it out. (laughs) This one's going to be harder. And I'm going to ask, was it? Katrina. Katrina, because she can pull it off, though she's actually Filipino and Hispanic, I think she can pull it off, but she's going to need some help. Are there any Hindus here? No. Oh, shoot. Are there any people that have seen Slumdog Millionaire? Because <laughs> I need some help. This is a real sari my wife got from a dear friend in New Delhi, and it's about 47 feet long. And somehow, one of you ladies that's kind of clever with clothing, uh, that was so terribly uh, gender uh, insensitive, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Figure out how to like roll this around her so part of it has to end up being her head covering. Okay, you know, I don't know. There's like a way to do it, but I never figured that. Okay, do we have any, you know, I'm thinking my dear friend, Daniel, you know, there aren't a lot of people who can pull this off. Pastor, remember Pastor Joseph? He told me that if I didn't wear this on a Sunday morning, he was going to steal it from me. This is a preaching robe from Senegal. There, there's two parts. Now, this is going to be the hard part, Daniel, because I don't see how this is going to go That's on the head. That's not going to happen. <laughs> but we, could, we can at least have it symbolically there. So um, th- this, let's see, you got to put this one on first. This is just a, it's, is there a front? Yeah, I think. So this goes over first. That's, your head goes through that. I don't know. Let's see. This could be a challenge. Well, we'll find out. Okay. Nope. 
you know what? You're going to be a, uh, I tell you what, we've just changed, and you're now Congolese. Can you that, get that over your head? Okay, so we need somebody else a little less beefy, a little skinnier, a guy. You're going to look, dude, you're going to look awesome. Come on back here. Okay. I have seen the Lego movie with my little grandkids, and everything is, in fact, awesome. So, and I think the hat might fit him, too. What's your name? Brett? Brad. Nice to meet you, Brad. This goes on first, and then this goes over second. This is the peace symbol before it was cool and a peace symbol. Groovy. Okay, so this goes over your head. Yeah, there's actually pants too, but I didn't bring them. They're like really oversized pajamas. Um, oh, this is what we do with this. We, we, no, no, just you stay still. This goes underneath like that, and then this goes underneath like that. They actually use like safety pins, but that's okay. Okay, and then there you go. There you go. Okay. I need I need another girl. Any African girls here? <laughs> By a donkey. <laughs> okay. Do you know have any of the any of the Kosas or Zulus ever taught you how to do one of these on the head? No. I don't know either, but they, they, this goes over her head. Any, any ladies want to help her? It kind of ties up with a little bow. Again, I don't have a clue. Give it a shot. Yeah, but you've got that, like, going. Um, we need somebody with their hands free. Come on, come on, some lady that's, you know, give it a shot. You know, just tie it over her head. I don't know. Okay. Okay, so let's look at this for just a minute. Let's say... We need a name. He is from Senegal. He is Muslim. Okay. His name is Muhammad Al. What's your dad's first name? Uh, Tom. Tom. Muhammad Al Tom. Okay. Okay. Now, he's from Congo. I have a good friend from Combo, Congo. His name is Ejiba. So we'll call him Ejiba Jr. Okay. Ejiba Jr. Yeah, I know. They got pants that makes it really look like a dress. Okay. Ajiba is a part of the Holy Ghost, Mount Zion, Pentecostal Church of Jesus' blood. And I, believe me, there's, I've seen churches in Africa with signs bigger than the churches are. Okay. Now, this is, I know he looks like the guy that works in a 7-Eleven uh, near the airport. <laughs> But he's actually Syrian, okay? He's Syrian, and he is a Shiite Muslim. That's what he knows, okay? On the other hand, she is his second cousin, okay? But she lives in Damascus, Syria, and she is a Christian, okay? And she lives outside of New Delhi, okay? And she is also a Christian, okay? So, here's the question. What, let's say, let's start with, oh, we got our other, you are, you are a, uh, she's an indigenous, um, that, and what's indigenous mean? What a terrible word. Native, that's exactly, see, it's not as bad a word as you thought. So, she's indigenous 
Um, remember the horses? Yeah, um, the horses, it's X-H-O-S-A, are a indigenous native people in South Africa. They used to have their own homeland called Transkei. That was my first trip about 22 years ago to Africa. And, um, but some of the, it's, you know, like you're calling a horse? It's horse. Try to say it. Horse. The, the white South Africans can't say that, so they call them koses. Okay? But it's horse. So she's a horse shaman. She collects chicken bones, and she throws them on the ground and interprets from how they land the future. Okay? For somebody. Well, you know, it's good work if you can get it. Okay, so, so our Kosa young lady needs to hear about Jesus, okay? And what's your first name? Lindsay. Lindsay is so inspired by my talk, she has a heart for missions, and she sees a special on National Geographic television, and she suddenly wants to reach the Kosa people. What is the number one problem or challenge right now? No, 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 no. No. Yeah, she's in Colorado Springs, and she's in the trans guy, right? So you got, you got distance. Now, that one's not as hard, because we can remedy that. You can send out support letters and get money, and some places you can go to. Other places you may not be able to get a visa because you're an American, but for South Africa, you, get a, you, know, you could easily get in. But then, yeah, there was a second challenge, somebody said. Language. Have you ever, I remember, oh, we were in, just got back from refugee camp project that I did for 11 years. Just got back one time, and a friend in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, calls me up because uh, I was leaving the next day. He said, you guys got a little bit of time? I said, sure. He said, we got a problem. He said, a YWAM group just showed up from Alabama, and they had, were given my name because I was in YWAM years ago, and uh, they don't know what to do here, and you know, we're just trying to encourage them. So we came over, and they showed us all their play. Any YWAMers I'm going to insult? I don't mean to, but, you know, no offense. Okay, so they show us all the plays and all the dramas they're going to do. And then we said, um, okay, who's going to read the scripture in Swahili? And the director said, oh, they don't speak English here? Uh, no. Or he said, y'all don't speak English here or something like that. So you got language. Okay, so you got, and then even if you kind of got language, there, somebody else said another word, a C word. Culture, like how do they do things? Well, okay, put that one on hold now. We got this, we got this Muslim guy here, okay, and he's not going to hear Jesus. So even if you go over to his land, you know, he's not going to hear Jesus, but he's got a distant relative in the Congo who knows Jesus, okay? So keep that in mind. Now you got, oh, there's no hope, right? No hope at all. <laughs> He's probably wearing, wearing, you know, explosive underwear or a bomb in his shoe, right? Okay? Because we know that every Muslim's a terrorist, right? Except that he really does question and wonder. And he's been intrigued because he saw a second cousin at a wedding last year. And he knew, he saw that she had a holy book that was different than the Quran called the Bible. And then this young lady is just lost in her sorry. And apparently her inability to understand there's one God and not 32 million gods like the pantheon that Hinduism says. So we got this problem here. And we're almost done with you guys. Okay. And 
we call it E1, E2, E3 evangelism. It's the idea of going to all the world of, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Well, what we found is that these barriers, the E1, E2, E3, those represent barriers. Barriers like language, distance, culture. That three barriers is almost impossible to sustain. Okay? One barrier you can deal with. Two's hard. Three's really impossible. Because if, your first name again, I'm sorry, it was Lindsay. If Lindsay moves over to South Africa, but never learns the language, and always has an interpreter, and doesn't really understand the culture, it's questionable how effective she's really ever going to be with this young lady who's lost and needs to hear good news. Okay? So what might be one way that she might bridge one of those gaps? Well, certainly, I mean, get an interpreter and then try to learn the language. That could be one, the distance. But what else? What's that? Study the culture. And maybe even find other people who are already believers in that or a similar culture or similar group that's nearby that she could pour into that might be more effective in reaching her. Okay? So in the same way, he's not going to listen to us. Okay? In fact, we may be... Remember when Jesus said those harsh words, throwing your pearls before swine? That wasn't to insult the person who was rejecting Christ. But what he was really saying is there's sometimes we've got to really consider our efforts. Okay? And maybe the effort is going to be encouraging this brother who pastors a congregation in Congo where a lot of Africans find themselves being hired in as domestic help in a lot of Muslim homes. In fact, I know an African pastor who is training people in his congregation who are believers, who are training them to, as missionaries, and they are moving up to North Africa and hiring themselves out as nannies and, and maids and garden boys, as they call them, and servants in in Muslim homes. They're in charge of the children all day long. And they're teaching the children about Jesus. They are cooking and they're around the wives, usually plural, the wives all day long. And they're sharing with them about Jesus. And in some cases, multiple wives from different Arab households or different Muslim households are coming during the day when the Muslim men maybe are at work. And these Maids and servants who are missionaries are gathering them together for discipleship meetings. That's probably a little more effective because Lindsay might stick out a little bit. Of course, actually, you stick out a little bit too because of the tone of your skin. But uh, if she looked more like the average Hosa woman, Lindsay would definitely stick out, wouldn't she? Now, our friend here, all we can do is pray for him, but when we find out that she has connection with him, that she's related to him. We want to reach out to her. We want to pour into her so that she can be an effective influence in his life. And what do we do with her all by herself? What do we do? Do we just show up in New Delhi and try to share the gospel? Or do we pray and look for what God is already doing and whom God is doing it through? And get alongside and partner with those who are doing it well 
so that we can see her reached because I may be inspired by a message, but I can't jump over three of those barriers. I just can't do it. And so God puts us into the universal body of Christ so that we can start partnering and working together. Amen? Okay, Instagram time. Let's all stand here. Okay, take your phones out. <laughs> Let's get close. Yeah, there we go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. Now, who is, there has got to be a type A, really organized lady here who actually folds clothes as opposed to most of the guys in this room that throw them on the floor. Who would help me get all these neatly back in my suitcase because I'm terrible? Okay, thank you. What's your name? Ashley. I, there's always one or two that's willing to help. Okay, thank you guys. So let's give them an applause. Hallelujah. Okay. So what's the weirdest thing that you've seen in culture? Okay. You know, like people that do weird things. What? Eating baby chicken eggs. Oh, I wish that was the worst thing. Um, the way they eat, the way they dress, the way they look so weird, the way they do things as opposed to us, because we do everything normal, right? And what do you call, you know, culture has this way of defining us without us realizing it, okay? And so years ago, there was, there was a Christian theologian um, by the name of uh, Ryan, Richard Niebuhr, he and his brother Reinhard Niebuhr were uh, German immigrants who came to the U.S. just before World War II. And Niebuhr wrote a book called Christ and Culture where he talks about five biblical perspectives of culture. Is everything in culture bad? Is everything in culture good? Can culture be used for bad or good? Okay, give me an example of something in culture that is really bad that we should never accept in some foreign culture. What's that? Uh, yeah, having more than one spouse, that generally doesn't work out real well. Witchcraft? Um, how about human sacrifices? Would we all agree those are bad things? What about eating baby chicken eggs? I, you know, actually, I ate chicken eggs this morning. Now, I cracked them and scrambled them, but, you know, is, is eating necessarily bad or good? It just is, right? I mean, some of the things that we think are disgusting, they don't, and, and vice versa, okay? How about how you dress, you know, and what you wear, and the music you listen to, and those kinds of things? Well, Dr. Niebuhr suggested five ways that the Scripture talk about culture. And the problem is, we tend to land on one. Thank you very much, ladies. We tend to land on one and think that's the only right way to deal with culture. Okay? So we got five. And, and don't worry about this too much, but Christ against culture. Now, is there a religious group you can think of here in America when you would immediately think of that opposes modern culture? Amish. Yeah, the Amish. The Amish have determined that Everything prior to about 1840 is somehow less or more holy than everything after 1840. And so they've kind of put a line in the sand and they live like the early 1900s, I mean 19th century, the, the early 1800s. And so they oppose everything that, that is not that, okay? But then 
We also have groups that, that seem to oppose. They're not quite the Amish, but they say you can't worship God unless you have a tie on or the woman doesn't ever cut her hair or you can't wear makeup or, you know, and, and we have a lot of names for those, but uh, legalistic type believers, right? And so is it fair to say sometimes you should oppose culture? Yeah. But other times you don't oppose it. And if you don't oppose it, well, what do you do next? Well, Dr. Niebuhr suggested that the second one was what he called the Christ of culture. That Christ, you can see Christ in culture. Beauty is something that God created. Would you agree? Creativity is absolutely something God created because what's the first act we read about in the, in the book of Genesis? God created the heavens and the earth. So God's a creator. God loves creativity and beauty. So music can be beautiful even if the person performing the music is not a godly person. Somehow God, God's image, imago dei, the image of God, which is in every human being, male and female, God's image can still be seen even in our fallen state, sometimes in culture. So Adolf Hitler was actually a very uh, good violin player, a violinist. He studied violin as a child, and he was actually quite good, rather accomplished. If you were outside the bunker where Hitler eventually committed suicide at the end of World War II, knowing what Hitler did in, in exterminating not just six million Jews, but, but countless more um, others, and, and the wickedness in him, but if he, in his last moments of desperation, pulled out his violin and started playing uh, one of Vivaldi's pieces, and he played it well, would the music be less beautiful sounding just because a monster was playing it? And the answer is no. Even in his sin, there's something that God can actually inhabit in culture. Okay? Then you have Christ above culture. There's other times where culture just doesn't make it. Where God is, is like otherly and higher than transcending the culture. And so we don't try to just, you know, bring culture along and marry it to Christ. This would be really seen perhaps in the more... Um, liturgical and high church expressions of Christianity where you might have the candles and the, we call them the bells and the smells and things that, that might, or the, the beautiful cathedrals you'll see in Europe to draw your attention up to God and not necessarily to the mundane everyday in culture. And then Christ and culture and paradox. That's that age old, you're in the world but not of the world. So there's that tension. How much do I relate to the culture, and how much do I draw a line and say no? And there's always that tension back and forth and back and forth, you know? And, and it's just one of those ongoing tensions throughout life that I'm going to have to pray for discernment on every single situation. Do I do this? Do I not do this? And then finally, Christ, the transformer of culture, that God wants to actually make a difference in the culture. And this might be helpful, this little diagram I, I made many years ago. If culture is in the yellow in the center, we've got Christ against culture, like a brick wall. And in the opposite, we've got Christ transforming culture, where we want to see a culture of life and a culture that honors God. But then you've got this Christ above culture, where it's, God's just kind of otherly. And then you've got the Christ in culture, where you're looking to find where can we land 
in their culture and not oppose everything. And then you have that tension. So it, the early missionaries came to places like Africa, and they didn't like the way that, for example, women uh, dressed in their minds immodest. And uh, they didn't like the drums. They called it jungle music. And so they said, if you're going to worship God, you have to dress like us. And so hot tropical climates, they taught the women to cover up, and they taught the men to wear three-piece suits with ties, right, to worship God correctly, and sing with a little pump organ rather than the, the, the uh, animal skin drums and all the wonderful uh, instruments that their culture had created. They called that the Christianizing of the dark continent. And in some ways, it didn't work out, and yet you still see the vestiges of it. I have been in, I've been in huts inside refugee camps when about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, we have high tea with chipped little proper-looking uh, teacups, just like the Brits taught them 300 years ago. So that tension, that challenge comes to us to say, well, how do we communicate the gospel in all of this? How do we share the gospel so they understand? And so the way we do it is what we call contextualization. Contextualization is basically 1 Corinthians 9.22, where Paul says, I'll become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might reach some for the gospel. But it means that I've got to understand the culture enough to communicate truth in a way that they understand through their cultural lenses. I've been going to West Africa and to Liberia a lot uh, the last several years until this last year because of the Ebola outbreak, and for a year I haven't been able to go. But Liberia, is, it's in West Africa on the coast. It's very hot and muggy, and I think the lowest recorded temperature in the history of Liberia is like 61 degrees, okay? One of the pastors told me that until a few years ago when television and the Internet opened up the whole rest of the world to Liberia. He said that, that missionaries taught them that scripture that says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. How do you describe snow to somebody who's never seen snow? Ever. They would say, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as cotton. Because they grew cotton. Now that's changing the word of God. Revelation says, if you take, add one word to this prophecy, you'll be, add one word. I mean, no, that's, that's, attempt, that's helping communicate the truth to them. So contextualization is me being willing to take the high road and a servant and listen and figure out how can I communicate God's truth to them in a way that they understand. And so we already I talked about 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. just want to show this last little slide. Contextualization takes the lens of Scripture through the lens of history and the lens of culture and determines to try to share with them what God's good news message is to them. And sometimes it's as simple as just coming alongside and listening to them and becoming an ear and becoming a friend so that I can share the good news with them. And then that leads to the ultimate final question, which is always this, the two challenges he says, pray for workers, because the fields are wide under harvest, but the laborers are few. And then the other is that we need to support those efforts to empower those people 
that are going to go and make an impact in their lives. But we can't do it as an island. If there's one word I'd like to leave with you about uh, global missions, it's this word. It's partnership. You can't do it yourself. And you're being, frankly, rather naive or arrogant to think that you can. But at the same time, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, as we begin to, to hear from God, and God puts a passion, and God puts a, a, a burn in our heart for a people group or a, a part of the world, know that God can connect us, maybe a circuitous route, but nonetheless, God can connect us with others that have that same passion that can help facilitate the call that God has placed on our heart. So some of you even today might have that kind of call in your life, in your heart, and you don't know where to go from there. What I would say is ask God and pray that God would show you how to prepare. And sometimes the preparation is, is very quick and immediate. Sometimes the preparation might be school. It might be university. It might be a period of time. But don't shortcut the work that God wants to do. Because what we don't want is to raise a generation of what I call drive-by missions, where, you know, go in, kaboom, and then you leave. We want sustainable, ongoing impact in every part of the world so that we can be a channel of God's blessing. Amen? So I'm going to just pray a prayer over you guys right now, because I know that there's a number of you here I don't know this by some, you know, uh, spooky thing or the Holy Spirit showing me. I just know that in a group this large, there are going to be a number of you who are moved in the area of global missions. And I want to pray for you. And I'll just say as a, at the end, if, if any of you have any questions or would just like to talk to us at some point or I'll shoot you an email and you want to just fill out one of those little yellow slips, uh, Miss Julie's in the back there at the table near the soundboard, please come by and just give us your information or just go online uh, and just check us out. Let's bow our heads. Could we stand, if you wouldn't mind? Heavenly Father, I know that in a group like this, there are people who have been impacted by travel to other countries, other cultures. I know there are people who, who were touched deeply when they helped that little orphan child or they they worshiped alongside those, that indigenous church group. But Lord, I also know that there's times when you speak and you call and you put your mark and you put your, you put your hand upon somebody's future. And so for those today that would be in that category, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your Holy Spirit would come and would begin to enlighten and quicken and make alive in their hearts that call that they might prayerfully begin to explore the partnerships and the preparation that you would call them into. Lord, I ask for your hand upon them, your anointing upon them, and your direction in their lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Joe? Amen. Well, let's thank the Lord for Dr. Todd and the message today. It's great. Well, everyone, uh, we'll see you next week. We're going to continue our evangelism topic. If you want more info about going to the, the, some of the trips we're doing this summer, come up here, talk to me. Uh, Victoria and Malcolm will be up here. And uh, go in peace. Blessings. See you guys next week. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org 
forward slash Sunday school.